All right, you may be dismissed, children. Hallelujah. Um, I've got a disease. It's called destination disease. Does anybody know what destination disease is? It's, it's when you want to get somewhere and you don't want to do anything else. Pastor Nelson does not have destination disease. He, he will, when, when we were younger and we would go somewhere, we would get in the vehicle and we'd have a couple vehicles and Pastor Nelson, the first thing he would do would be to find where Tim Hortons was. I'd get in the vehicle and it's like, where are we going? What time is it? How much time do we have? Let's go. And Pastor Nelson, he doesn't have that disease and he's able to enjoy his ride. And the first thing he would do, and I'm not kidding, he would say, just got to go to Timmy's. Just got to grab my coffee. And we've been talking about process And this morning, the title of my sermon is Destination Disease. Because we are all in a process. And sometimes the process might be a one-month thing. Sometimes the process might be a career thing. Sometimes the process might be raising a child or adopting a child. Or even the process is our life as a whole. So I've got a couple graphics that I wanted to show you this morning. And the first one I wanted to show you is, is a picture of success. If we could put that one up, Cora. The one that, this, this is what success, what people think it looks like. Have you ever met somebody and they come to you and they say, oh, you're successful and they see the top of the arrow and the way it looks like is, well, it just, they just started there and they just went straight up to the top. Oh, if only I could have what you've got. If only I could have what you've learned. If only this. And so this is what people or other people think success looks like. I've had it. I've looked at people that have been in the game for 50, 60, 70 years, and I think, well, why don't I have what they have? Because I haven't been in the game as long. But I'd like to show you what success really is. It really looks like that. And it's in this squiggly lines where life is really lived. It's in that mess that you get your message. It's in that test And all the tests that happen in there that you get your testimony. So this morning I want to talk about process and I want to talk about the destination disease because I would start down here and I'd want to be up there but I didn't want to do any of the other stuff. if, if you could show me the shortcut, if you, and, and there are some shortcuts in life. There are some things you don't have to go through because other people have gone through them and they can help you. 
And if you're wise enough, you will get around people that will help you and teach you. So I believe in growing and learning, and I believe in, in shortcuts. The Holy Spirit is a great advantage to living in life because he can, he can direct you away from pain. But I've also learned that there are some things that you have to go through. You can't just live on one shortcut to another shortcut to another shortcut. There are some things you have to go through. So life and the process. So the first slide that I want to write up there and have you see is that sometimes the process is all about the journey. And I said earlier, I've got destination disease. And I am learning how to enjoy the journey. A number of years ago, I, I grew up where I worked a lot as a teenager. My, my dad was able to employ us boys, and so I worked for my dad. And after work, I would go to a golf course, and I would go with a few of my brothers in Fort Langley, the Fort Langley Golf Course. And you play Twilight, and Twilight would start at sometimes at 4 or 4.30. And I had this thing when I played golf that I would run between my shots because I paid $30, and so I wanted to get as many holes in that I could get. So 18 is a round of golf, but if I really pushed it, I would sometimes get 20, 23, 24, till I couldn't see the ball anymore, and then we'd find it and we'd head back home. So I grew up with this idea that playing golf was all about what you can do, what you can do, hit the ball, run to the next one, hit the ball, run to the next one. And then one day I went and I took my boys to golf. And we were at Poppy Estates. And as we started, the first round, the first hole, and if you've been around me, this is my destination disease. We hit the ball. Okay, you're up. Don't take three practice swings, just hit the ball. And, and, and then as soon as the ball's hit, it's like, why isn't your club in the bag and why aren't you running down the fairway to the next ball, to your next shot? And my two boys, God bless their heart, were walking like this, talking as they went down the fairway. And their balls weren't necessarily side by side, but what they would do is they'd walk to one ball and then the brother would depart and go to the other ball. And we played, and for nine holes, I was on their case. Nine holes. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. We got to, to nine holes, and, and I'm ready to go to hole 10. And they look at me, and they say, Dad, we've had enough. And I said, what? You've exhausted us. And God spoke to me in that moment that I needed to enjoy the walk instead of just trying to hit the ball and see how many rounds. Uh, sorry, I see Harry sitting there and you've got your arms folded and you're going, what is he talking about? I know what you would be doing, Brother Harry, but this is a lesson that I learned about life on the golf course. So the next time I took my boys golfing, I didn't care what time it was. In fact, I got upset with the guys behind me because they were pushing me. And the boys actually had to tell me once, Dad, 
just let it go. Just let it go. Because I was ready to hit their ball back to where they were. But what I was learning was how to enjoy the journey. What I was learning, if you could put that slide up as to what success really looks like again, Cora, what I was learning was how to enjoy the dips, the curves, the changes, the valleys, the mountains. What I was learning was how to enjoy the unpredictable things that happen on the way to where I'm going. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And, and my title is Destination Disease, but what I want to talk to you about is the places in the process. And if you look in the Word of God, there are so many places in the process throughout the Word of God. Where did God put Adam and Eve? They put, he put them in a place, in the garden. In fact, it says, if you read the Bible, he actually planted the garden and put them in there to tend it. So God is not afraid of places. And so I want to share with you this morning about some of the places in the process. Because if you're not careful, what you end up doing is you end up looking at the start point and you look at the end point and you get frustrated because it isn't happening the way you expected it. I charted out my five-year plan. I charted out my three-year plan. I charted out my career goals. I charted out my family goals. I charted this out. And then that happened and all of a sudden something had to change. And if you're not careful, you get angry, bitter, and as Pastor Nelson said, even grumpy because things aren't happening the way you planned it. So I've got some thoughts for you this morning about the process and enjoying the places in the process. Another, I, I, I don't know why I'm sharing some of my things because it's, I didn't think I was that crazy, but um, Pastor Winona and I, we have a funny conversation. When we drive in Vancouver or in Surrey, we come across soccer fields, and I will say, oh, I played at that soccer field. And what happens is those places have a significance or a meaning in my life. If I drive through Vancouver, if you're not careful because, and when I say not careful, it's not that you, if you're not careful that you decide to ride with me. So if you have a choice, you might think Pastor David, and he's going to talk about this, or I could go with Pastor Nelson, and he'll stop at Timmy's. Um, but if you decide to come with me, and we'll drive through Vancouver, I'll point out, oh, I worked on that building. Oh, I worked on that building. And then I'll tell you a story about it. You know, the first job site I went to was in the middle of the summer, and I had boots that were winter boots, hard, uh, steel-toed boots, and they were like 16 sizes bigger than my foot. You know, they were just huge. I remember where that was, the place. So places are significant in life. I would ask the husbands this, but I might get in trouble, or they might get in trouble, but do you know where you proposed to your wife? Actually, I should ask the wives, do you know where your husband proposed? Because that one always gets the right answer. 
And don't go home and ask your husband that question because I do not want him to get in trouble. If you could turn in your Bibles, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 13. I want to read a verse out of Genesis 13 and then I want to give you some more thoughts about the places in the process. This is a newer Bible, so it's going to take me a moment. I know where Genesis is. <laughs> Genesis 13, and this is, this is Abraham, and at this time it's Abram. He still hasn't had his name changed. But it's, it's in Genesis 13, and it's at the point where he's left the land and he's taken his nephew Lot. And Abram and Lot have grown and prospered to the point where now they're kind of, there's some friction because the blessing of God was so great upon them that they, they needed, you know, the, 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 their farm hands and their servants were starting to argue about where they, their flocks could go and where they could drink and the wells and, and all these things. So Abram decides, I've got to talk to Lot and we've got to split up. We've got we to gotta divide. So he talks with Lot and he says, Lot, you look, and wherever you look, you decide and you pick. So Lot picks this luscious area, and he, he goes and he pitches his tent where he believes the land is good. And then God has this conversation with Abram. And verse 14, it says that the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now... Lift up your eyes and look from the place. I want you to see that. He says, look from the place. Where are you right now? Where are you right now? Are you stuck in the place that you can't even look up where you are? Because sometimes in life we get so all those twists and the curves and after a while it becomes about the journey but it's like we're stuck. I'm stuck here and I'm faced with the bills of tomorrow and I'm faced with the expectations of this and, I'm exp and all of a sudden you start looking down at the land that's around you and you start looking like this and God says to Abram, look up, lift up your eyes from the place. I want you to see that, that there's times in the place where you need to look. And then he says, and I love this, because your God is a 360-degree thinking God. He doesn't just think one way. But he says, look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. And look to the west. And yes, I pointed in the correct dimensions, directions of the compass. But God spoke to him, and God was saying, in your place right now, Abram, I want you to lift up your eyes, and I want you to look everywhere, all around. And then he says, and he gives him this promise, everywhere you look, it's where I'm giving you. Everywhere your foot walks, is what you've got. And Abram's in the middle of this process, and he's, he's actually just seeing some, I mean, there must have been some joy being together. 
but now they're separated and Lot picked the best area. <laughs> Have you ever been around somebody and they picked the best thing? I've got eight brothers. I know what it's like when somebody picks something that you wanted. And God's looking and he says, Abram, what I want you to do is lift up your eyes and look to the north. What do you see north? He says, now I want you to turn around. I want you to look south. What do you see south? I see opportunities. I see land. I see mountains. I see rivers. I see valleys. He says, great. Now I want you to look east. What do you see when you see east? I see Ottawa. No, I see better than Ottawa. I see the promises of God. Did you catch that? I, I see what God has for me. I see his goodness. I see that's the place where the sun rises and gives hope every morning. That's the place where there's opportunities and there's a new promise. Every time I look eastward, I see the sun coming up and I see his blessing. And when I look to the west, I see that the sun goes down and he paints the sky with colors to say, wasn't it a good day? And as I look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, I start to see that the journey looks different different than being stuck in the process or in the journey where I am. So I want to give you some thoughts out of this passage about the places in the process. Sometimes the places in the process are where God wants to take you. But there's sometimes the process or the places in the process are places you've actually gone to. I don't think God takes us to every place in the process because sometimes me and my crazy little mind makes a decision and that decision determines some of the places I'm at. So if I was to tell you God takes you to the places, I, was, I wrote that down and I looked at that and I said, no, sometimes David's stupidity takes him to places. I've seen that sign, you can't fix stupid. I've been there. Sometimes my decisions put me in a place. Have you ever made a decision and then later on you've regretted the decision you've made? Was that God's fault? So often, we tend to think, well, that was just God. No, now God can meet you there, but your decisions quite often bring you there. Here's a few other things that will take you to your destination or your place, your attitude. Now, some of you are saying amen. Sometimes your response takes you to a place. What I want you to see is some of the places that you're in right now may be a doing of your own self. Sometimes the decisions I make put me in a place. Sometimes my attitude, sometimes my response, my relationships will take me to places. It says in the Bible, bad company corrupts. Psalm 1 it says, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the other, sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And what he does is he paints a picture of some of the places or the relationships you have. I've heard it said that the average person is a composite of the five most influential people in their life. Think about that. I started to think about who are the most five influential people. Pastor Nelson is one of them. He hasn't influenced me for Tim Hortons, but he's influenced me in other ways. My dad is another one. That's where I get my sense of humor. Don't blame me. (laughs) Dr. Brown is a huge influence. That's where I get a lot of my nuggets. And, And I trying to figure out the other two. But you quite often, Pastor Daniel is probably one of them. And Monique's going, me. No, I'm not as funny as you, Monique. But they say in relationships, if you were to study your life, you would find that the five most influential people in your life are part of the composite of who you are. Now, yes, you are your own person, but relationships are huge. Here's another thing. Our thinking. Our thinking. Well, God's not good. Yes, he is. I've talked to believers, and I use that word sometimes with a question mark, because they don't even believe what God's word says. God says that you're more than a conqueror. Is that true? Then you're more than a conqueror. Why complicate it? Well, you don't know. Do I need to know or do I need to know the word? You're thinking. Sometimes our thinking is so small, it doesn't even have room for growth. Our independence. I've met people with an independent mindset, and there's a strength to that, but there's also a weakness to it. These are things that will put you in places. Stubbornness. Some people refer to it as persistence. Other people refer to it as stubbornness. I guess it depends sometimes. But stubbornness, sometimes I've seen people, I've, I've been there. Sometimes I've been so stubborn I wouldn't accept the proper advice because I just had to do it my way. And I see the ditch in front of me, and the wisdom is yelling at me, turn, and I'm thinking, no, I'm smart enough to figure this out. And then I fall in the ditch. And I get all muddy and dirty, and I get stuck. And then I, because I didn't go to Timmy's, and then I go to the person that was saying, hey, watch out for this, and quite often they just help me out. They don't sit there and say, well, why did you do this? Why did They just, are you prepared to help somebody after you've told them not to do something? Children. Boy, sometimes, we'll use children as an example because they're not in the room right now, but have you ever met a stubborn child? No, no, we won't go there. What about our running? Sometimes the places I find myself in are because I've run from what God wanted for me. Jonah is an example of somebody who ran from what God wanted him to do. And he spent three days in the belly of a big fish. I was looking at that this morning. Three, three days? I get sick after about a minute and a half. How did he breathe? 
I mean, I think he was on a self-imposed fast. Either that or he out kelp. And then he gets vomited. The Bible says he was vomited onto dry land. Oh. Don't run. Don't run. So we see all these things that we actually put into the equation that causes me to end up in this place. But I've got some good news for you. God meets you at your place. I've got good news for you. Even though you might be stubborn, God meets you at your place. Even though you might not have the information and you may have made decisions, God still meets you in your place. He doesn't wait till you're perfect. He meets you where you are. God meets you at your place. I want you to think for a minute with me. I'm going to read off some of the places in the Bible. One of them is Bethel. God's house. And that's found in Genesis 28. If you're writing down notes, if I see you on your phone, I'm assuming you're making notes and I'll ask them for them after church. But in Genesis 28, Jacob is running. Actually, not in this passage. In this passage, he was sent to get a wife. And he has this dream he takes a rock and he puts it down and he has a dream. And in this dream, God speaks to him and tells him, the promise that I gave your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abram, is still going to be fulfilled and it's going to come through you. And he wakes up in Genesis 28 and he says an interesting phrase. If you look at the passage, Genesis 28, verse 16, he says, surely God was in this place. Do you know that God was in this place this morning? He woke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And I found it interesting. I googled this verse and I found that every single translation and transliteration that I looked at had the phrase, in this place. Here he is in the process of life and his family. He, he has tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright and he's got the inheritance and he's been blessed and his dad sends him away and he's now leaving his family and he has a sleep. And by the way, he had a dream. God met him in a dream. Who here has dreams? Do you know that God can speak to you in a dream? This picture of Jacob's ladder, as we refer to it as a ladder that went from the ground up to heaven, and angels were coming up and down, that was a dream that he had, but he recognized it wasn't just a pizza dream. It was a dream that was God and divinely inspired. And he woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I didn't even know it. That's a place in the Bible. Abram, Abraham with Isaac, God tells him, take your son, your promised son, the one I told you you'd have, and take him up to the mountain and dedicate him and sacrifice. And as he's doing this, God meets him at that place and he gives him a ram out of the thicket. And I find this interesting because Abraham calls that Jehovah Jireh. We often place Jehovah Jireh in supplying my needs and my finances, and we think it all in a term with respect to finances, but here it was in a term with respect to the sacrifice. And God met him at his place. Here's another place, the road to Emmaus. And the disciples, there's a few disciples, whether it's a couple, two or three, I'm not 100% sure. But this is literally three days after Jesus is put in the, the grave and he's risen from the dead. And they start walking a seven-mile walk to Emmaus. This is a place. This is where God met them. And they're walking and they're sharing their disappointments with Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation with God? They're, they're, they're walking along and they said, well, we thought that the guy that we just saw going to the grave was supposed to be the one that took care of Israel and was restore the kingdom and, and this happened. And, and they talk and it says that Jesus opened up the scriptures and for seven miles he shows them in the Old Testament because that's the only book they had. He shows them Christ in the Old Testament. And he shows them how he would come and how he would die and how he'd be raised again. And he shares it all with them. They still don't get it. Then he breaks the bread and he blesses it. And all of a sudden, God takes the scales off their eyes and they go, that's Jesus. And he disappears. <laughs> I, I mean, quantum physics, ultra physics, whatever. Wow. A physical body. God, better than Star Trek. And, and then they said at that moment, I think it's in Luke, didn't our hearts burn within us? Very similar to what Jacob said. He's in this place, and we didn't even know it. I'm here to tell you, God will meet you at your place, but you might not even know it at first. You might not recognize what he's doing. You might think this is all just part of the process and this and that, but God is there and he meets you where you're at. Here's another place for you. The burning bush. How about Joshua at Jericho? He's standing. This is his first major conquest, and I can just imagine, I can just picture this in my mind. As he's told the people, if you read the passage in, in Joshua he tells the people, get ready for tomorrow God's going to do something. And there's no evidence that he had all that information ahead of time. It doesn't say that God spoke to him and said, tomorrow I want you to do this. Joshua spoke something prophetically. Sometimes, I'm, I'm adding a little thing here, but I was impressed with it this morning, and I want, I want you to hear this right now. Sometimes you need to speak something that will happen 
that isn't necessarily planned to happen. Sometimes you need to speak something into existence. You say, I can't. If you read that first couple chapters in Joshua, it doesn't say God gave him this plan and said, do this, do this, do this, do this. It just said he got up and he told the Levites, get ready because tomorrow something's going to happen. I'm here to tell you right now, I'm going to exercise that. Speak because tomorrow something's going to happen. I'm saying that to you. I'm giving you some advice. Grab it. Because I don't believe it's just me speaking. I believe it's Holy Spirit speaking. He, he, he just caused me to... What is the impossible thing that you need to look at? What is the river that you need to cross? The place that you're at right now in the process and you look at it and say, it's impossible. I'm here to tell you tomorrow. It's five after 12, 24 hours. 24 hours. Expect a miracle. When you say amen, you mean so be it. If I were sitting in your chair, I'd be saying amen, 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 amen. Can I keep saying amen? amen. Do you receive that? In your place. In your place. Joshua. Thank you, Jack. Oh, I love you, Jack. In the next 24 hours, you're going to see some things. Amen. Joshua. And he stands there. He tells them to do it. And then he goes out for a walk. And he goes to look at Jericho. And I can just imagine he has his coffee because he's Hebrew. And, and he has his coffee. It's not Timmy's. And he's standing there with his Hebrew. And he's looking at Jericho. And he sees the commander of the Lord's army. But he doesn't recognize him. And he says, are you for me? Are you against me? Can you imagine the courage that was inside of him to look at somebody with a sword drawn? And I can imagine he looked pretty spectacular because he represents God's army. He says, are you for me or are you against me? And then the commander of the Lord's army says, ah, I'm going to be with you. And he says to him, the place you're standing is holy ground. The same words that were spoken to Moses at a place the burning bush. Moses was in the backside of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness, and God met him where he was at. Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I want you to realize that the places you're at, they might be for your own decisions that you bang your head against the wall and you say, why did I do that? Oh, David, how silly and how stupid can you be? Why would you? And, and we stand there and we beat ourselves up. Even in those places, God will meet you there. That's a picture of grace. And in that place, God met them. Gideon, hiding in the wine press, doing the wheat. He wasn't even in the proper place. to. Do, he was hiding 
God met him at that place. Don't put up your hand. But some of you are hiding. You can't hide from God. You can't run from God. Psalm 139, where can I go but you're there? Even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I send up to the sky, you're there. If I, no matter where I go, you're there. Here's another place in the Bible. Saul slash Paul on the road to Damascus. He was on the road to do some evil damage. God met him. That was a place. God can meet you because you don't have to be a believer for God to meet you. Can I throw that out and make you think a little bit? Because none of you were believers when God came to meet you to begin with. I wasn't a believer and then God said, oh, you're a believer. Welcome to the family. No, he, he gave me an invitation. He came and he interrupted my life. And he gave me an opportunity. And Saul, on his way to Damascus to, to drag people out of their homes and to persecute Christians, Christ comes and he meets him at that place. Jonah. Zacchaeus. What was his place? His place was climbing a tree. And you say, well, why? It's in the Bible. It's got to be significant. It's in the Bible. Even if you think you're climbing a tree, God can meet you at your place. Jesus to Nathaniel. Nathaniel has an attitude about who Jesus is. And he says, when, when one of his brothers or one of his friends comes to him and he says, hey, Nathaniel, I found Jesus the Christ, what they talk about. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, get real. You know that place. Can anything good come out of that place? And then he says, well, just come and check. Take a look. Check him out. Give him a chance. And he comes and Jesus says, oh, an Israelite, there's no guile. And he says, how did you know? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Even if you have an attitude. Even if you have a little bit of doubt. I think sometimes we think the conditions for God to meet us have all got to be this, 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 and perfect. I'm here to tell you, no. In fact, he will come in the most imperfect conditions and bring his perfect love into that condition. What condition are you facing? What place are you at today? Because it's at that place that God wants to meet you. What are the places? In a pit. Jonah. In a fish. Daniel. In the lion's den. Moses at the back of the wilderness. The road to Emmaus. A walk after a major disappointment. Saul on the road to do something evil. Predetermined bad stuff. Joshua on the verge of his greatest battle. The, the three Israelites in the fiery furnace. How about you on a job site? How about you in your vehicle. What is the place? What about when you're going for the hike and you look out and you go, where are you? And he goes, I'm right here. 
He'll meet you in the place. You put up the next slide. Because it's in these places that the God moments, the God encounters, the God visitations happen. It's in these places where God moments happen. It was in that place where Jacob was sleeping that he had a visitation, an encounter, a dream. And if I can give you anything today to take away from today, I would say take away that in your place where you're at right now is a prime location for a God encounter. And the place that you're at, whether you feel like you're running on empty, whether you feel like you can't do it anymore, whether you say, I've made a mess, whether you say, I really messed up this time, whether you say, it's my attitude, I don't care what it is. God's not intimidated by what you think. And he says, wherever you are, I'm there and my grace is there already ahead of time. And I'm in that place to meet you and to be with you. If that doesn't get you excited, I won't say the rest. But if that doesn't get you excited, God meets you where you're at. And it's in those moments there's God encounters. I remember voice, the voice of God speaking to me directly. I can tell you where I was on the road on 88th Avenue in Surrey. You talk to Pastor Nelson, he can tell you where he was sitting in his living room when the Holy Spirit overwhelmed him and overpowered him and gave him an insatiable desire to get to know him. I can tell you places where I've met God and he's spoken to me. Those are places that are monuments in my life. Those are God encounters that I cannot deny, I will not deny, and I will say no that because of that, I will do what I do. I do today what I do today because when I was six years old or younger, I heard his voice speak to me. I was dancing around the kitchen table and we had a picnic table and a round table in our Vancouver home on East 46 and I was dancing around listening to the, the music. It was a group from Ireland that had kilts I forget their name. I think it was McGilvery's or something like that. And we were dancing around that table, my mom and I, and all of a sudden God said, I've called you to be a pastor. I remember that moment. I remember that place. I remember stopping, sitting down, looking at my mom and say, God's called me to be a pastor. It's in the place where God will have an encounter with you. Can you put up the first verse, Genesis 13 again? I want to close with this verse again. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, and let's just add a little bit. The Lord said to David, put your name in there. The Lord said to whatever your name is. After this had happened, after I had made a mess, after I got separated from this, after I endured some frustrations, he says to him, now lift up your eyes. Get your eyes off of the mess and get it on God. 
get your eyes off of where you're at and start to see him. He says, and look from the place where you are. This morning, if I give you one growth principle on how to grow in the process, it's what are you looking at? What are you looking at? This morning, God knows you where you are in your place. And it's where his encounters happen. It's where monumental moments happen. It's where visitations happen. It's where dreams occur. It's where meeting with God happens in the place where you're at. Don't wait for tomorrow. Recognize him now. Lift up your eyes and look and see to the north, the south, the east, the west, and see what he has for you. Amen? Do you receive that? When we stand up and we're going to close in prayer. Just keep playing the piano. The Lord's in this place. He's in this place. So what I want you to do is, is as the music plays, the music is a great atmosphere drawer, amplifier. So I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit to come right now and just meet you in your place. I would recommend you lift up your hands as a sign of faith. You don't have to, but I would recommend it just to open yourself up. And I'm going to just have the song play for about 30 seconds when I'm finished speaking, but I want to give you an instruction. The instruction right now is to have some conversation with God and just, he knows where you're at. So just say, God, you know where I'm at. And I'm just going to ask him to meet you right now. And, and I'm expecting Holy Spirit, God, to just, do some wild stuff right now. So we're just going to sit for or stand for 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds, and I'll be quiet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Mm. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone this week. May we look at and lift our eyes up from the place where we're at. May we recognize those moments 
Amen. If if you would like, I'm gonna I'm gonna step out a little bit here. Um, I'm gonna draw my wife and myself. I I feel real strong stirring in me. If you want prayer, I'm not gonna pray for you two minutes. I'm just gonna declare God's word over you. So if there's anybody here that just says, you know what, I could, I could use a little bit. I believe God's here right now, and and I will be honored just to, to lay my hands on you and just impart what God has for you right now. So you, you're free to d- dismiss, but if anybody wants just their hands, hands laid on them, just come forward right now.